text this morning is from Daniel chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. If it's all right, I'd like to just get right to it. Daniel 7, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read Daniel 7. Let's read it together. Give you a moment to turn. Daniel 7, verse 1. The verses will also be up here on your scriptures, on, on your screens. Daniel's vision. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another the the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings then as I looked its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it and behold another beast a second one like a bear it was raised up on one side it had three ribs in its mouth but between its teeth and it was told arise devour much flesh after this I look and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it after this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong it had great iron teeth it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns I considered the horns and before and behold there came up among them another horn a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and behold in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire had issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away and their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. The visions in my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Well, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke the great things and, and that seemed greater than its companions. 
As I look, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the, king, the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, well, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, trample it down, break it into pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the most high. He shall wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law. They shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. People sometimes ask me, Pastor, how do you decide week by week what to preach on? Well, obviously not carefully. <laughs> well, I mean, right, what on earth have we just read? What are we doing in Daniel 7? We come to a passage like Daniel 7. It is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic. This is beasts and visions, end times, apocalypse. When UK beats Florida, stuff that like shouldn't happen. Daniel standing strong. Daniel interpreting dreams. Listen, this is Daniel one through six was one thing. These are the stories he interprets: the dreams, the writing on the wall, the fiery furnace, the uh, 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 lion's den. These are stories we teach children. I taught my kids Daniel and the lion's den. I don't know about Daniel seven. Not at bedtime. (laughs) And the beast ripped the flesh, and the leopard had four heads. Nighty night. <laughs> so why is this our text? I think a word of explanation and introduction, it wouldn't uh, uh, hurt us to hear this again. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instructing in righteousness so that the messenger of God, the person of God, the man of God can be fully equipped for all the good works that God has for them to do. So we know that every corner of Scripture is valuable to us and for us. And I think that, that, that that's why, and, and this is just a brief aside, but you ever wonder why? That's why the sermon series, that's why my sermon series are things like Isaiah or Daniel. We try, I, I try to preach expositionally through a book and uh, here's why. I, I wouldn't go to the mat for this. I wouldn't say it's the only way to do it. But, but here's why. It forces us as a church into the maybe dark corners of Scripture we otherwise wouldn't go. Right? It also forces me as your preacher to be a lifelong learner. See, if I just do topical sermons, then I'm like that uh, teacher or professor you had who once they made their lesson plans in 1968, they never wrote another one. They just return to the same lessons and preach them and preach them and preach them for, uh, teach them and teach them and teach them for a new crop, right? Uh, in the same way, if I had my, my, uh, my same topics I came back to over and over again, then over time, 
uh, uh, we would be, and this is the, the most important thing, we as a church would be malnourished because we want to be nourished by the whole counsel of God. And uh, uh, not, not that uh, topical preaching done well is wrong, by no means. And from time to time, I'll do a topical sermon. And that's, but the, uh, oh, oh, the, the point is, if all I did was topical preaching, let me just say it honestly, I don't know what topic would ever lead us as a church to Daniel 7. Uh, that's how I'd, I'd want to put it. But we need to go there. And don't think for a minute it didn't cross my mind all week to say, you know, we've been in Daniel long enough. Let's just run for the safety of 1 Corinthians or something. And, but I couldn't, I, I felt it was an utter lack of courage to at least not give it a try. You can't preach a series called True Grit and then skip town on the hard parts. So... Uh, what makes it hard? Apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic is a genre of scriptures. The most famous apocalyptic literature is the book of Revelation. Uh, apocalyptic is different than what we've had before, which was narrative. And so it must be read differently. No one who hears a sentence that begins, the sky will turn black, the stars will fall down, and the moon will drip blood, expects that sentence to end and the rest of the region should be partly cloudy with some scattered showers. <laughs> Why? You'd say, well, because this is clearly in the realm of figurative, visceral, visionary words, and this is a literal weather report. Those are two different genres of literature, and so they, they're heard differently. And that's what we have with apocalyptic. Apocalyptic just means, by the way, it means revelation. And so really the whole Bible is apocalyptic in that sense. It's all the revelation of God to us, but we designate as apocalyptic certain sections of the Bible, like this part of Daniel. These are the, the book of Revelation, as I said. These are things that deal with the end of this present age, which is characterized by conflict and its replacement by the final age of peace. It shows us ahead of time the end of the kingdoms and this world and their replacement by the coming kingdom of God. It is given in complex and mysterious imagery, and it has one purpose, to give comfort and hope to the faithful in the midst of their current crises. Apocalyptic is crisis literature, and it's meant to fill you with hope this morning and encouragement as you live out your time as an exile. So when you come to apocalyptic, apocalyptic scriptures, uh, when you hear that, uh, 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 there, there are generally two errors that we can fall into. One error when you come to a passage like this is to ignore it, right? We've talked about that. And there are many, many people that when you deal with Revelation, they go, quite frankly, you know, this is the response you get a lot of people. Hey, what are you preaching on this Sunday? I'm preaching on Daniel's vision in Daniel 7 about the coming kingdom, the end times, and all this stuff. They, a lot of them will go, whoo, well, whoo, preacher, that stuff's over my head, you know. I don't know, right? And I want nothing to do with it. That's all, I, I understand there's some humility there, but God has it here in his word. We shouldn't just dismiss it. Uh, however, the other error, of course, is you read something like this, and it's all you want to talk about. It's all you think about. We go to your home right now. There's charts all over the world, right? all over the, the house of four-headed leopards, and right. And you've you've tried to figure out your as if God would give this so that you could be sort of a Bible Sherlock Holmes, and you're a theological sleuth, and you're cracking the mystery, and then you're publishing books about how you, throughout all two thousand years of church history, you alone alone have unlocked the real mysteries of the apocalypse. And you get a podcast, and you go on Christian Network, and you talk about it, or whatever. Uh, 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 
It, it brings out theological sluice. This was not given for theological Sherlock Holmes, okay? God, that, that's not how God does it. God does not play tricks with his children. And so there is a way we can avoid errors when it comes to reading apocalyptic literature. This will help you in all of your Bible reading, but especially when it comes to Daniel, Revelation, parts of Ezekiel. Listen carefully. Here's how to avoid both these errors. You ready? It's an age-old way of understanding and interpreting the Bible. Because you read all this and the fire and the wheels and the... Okay, here we go. The main thing is always the plain thing. And the plain thing is always going to be the main thing. Got it? We say it again. The plain thing is the main thing. The main thing is the plain thing. What is the plain truth that's coming through in Daniel 7? What is it that we know? What's, I'm not talking about what's shrouded in mystery and riddle. What is Daniel trying to get across to us? What is the word of God trying to speak to us that is plain? Because whatever that is, that's going to be the main thing. And this chapter breaks down neatly into three sections, right? And, so, and, and they'll form the basis of our points. Let's get right to it. As some of you would say, all that introduction was just stalling preacher you're a coward and you're trying to buy time hoping that the clock will run out here we go the three points number one the uh, uh, the three points are going to be if you're a note taker this chapter is about the clear realism of what's coming the heartening secret and the coming fight the clear realism the heartening secret and the coming fight clear realism start with that what is the plain truth of Daniel 7? It's this. In spite of exile and persecution, God is still in control of history and he will see his people through. That's the plain thing that comes. Doesn't it come through? Oh, there's these kingdoms. Yeah, they go away. This one's really scary. They go away. This one's a nightmare. It goes away. But his dominion is never lasting dominion. That is absolutely plain and you can't miss that in Daniel 7. However you think it's all going to play out in the end, everybody can... In spite of present appearances, God is in control and he will see his people through. So, the clear realism. Now, the Bible's not naive about this. The, 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 the face of history is beastly. Now, the sea represents chaos and turmoil. Look at verse 3. So, four, it's not surprising that the sea, all of this, this, <clears throat> though it's heaven, if you look, it's, all, it's heaven that's given these. That, that's a theme throughout Daniel. No matter what it looks like, these powerful kingdoms, it's always they were given dominion. This did happen to them, as if we are to remember heaven is always in control. Anyway, sea is brewing something wicked, and sure enough, these four great beasts. Four monsters, each one more frightening than the one before it. We learn from verse 17. Uh, here is another example. The plain thing's the main thing. The angel tells him, remember there's ten, ten thousands of ten thousands standing before the Ancient of Days, and Daniel goes up to one of them, psst, hey, psst, can you help me out here a little? <laughs> And he gives a direct interpretation. Verse uh, 17, he tells us, the four great beasts represent four kingdoms, four kings. Okay, so we know that one. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to fuss about that one. Okay, so where have we seen four kingdoms before in Daniel? If you remember, there was another dream that was very scary back in chapter 2. Do you remember this? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. What was the dream about? The dream was about four kingdoms. Though Warren Wearsby points out, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the great kingdoms are precious metals. Remember, the first one was gold. That's Babylon. And then it was silver. Then it was bronze. Then it was, uh, Warren Wearsby points out, isn't that something? In the mind of the godless, the kingdoms of this earth glitter like precious metal. To those who see truly, they're nothing but beasts. 
monstrous. They can see through. All that glitters is not gold. Don't fall in love with the kingdoms of this age. They're passing away. At any rate, we've seen these four kingdoms before. And the four beasts, I think, are the same as the ones in Nebuchadnezzar's dream back in chapter 2. The first is that lion with eagle's wings. Throughout Babylon, on the gates of the city of Babylon, there would have been this image. Babylon sort of adopted the winged lion as their um, uh, uh, symbol. Uh, they, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, this sort of looks like Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was lifted up, he was mighty, and then his wings were plucked off. And certainly, Nebuchadnezzar's wings were clipped. Remember, he was forced to uh, uh, eat grass and, 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 and run around like a cow in the field until God stood him back up on his two feet and gave his, gave his mind back. And so this first beast, uh, Babylon, all right? And then after Babylon, who's next? A bear raised up on one side, verse 5. You see that with the three ribs in its, in its mouth between its teeth? You know, I've had a little salad in my teeth before, but three ribs. This thing must have been humongous. And it was told, and, and the point is, arise, devour much flesh. Most people think this is the kingdom that came after Babylon. This is Cyrus, Darius, the, Mede, the Medo-Persian, the Medes and the Persians. Uh, you never see the Medes without the Persians in the Bible. So Medo-Persia, but Persia is always stronger. Persia is much stronger. So, so they figure that uh, uh, the bear, but the bear is raised up on one side. The Persia side is much stronger. Um, this business about the three ribs in its mouth, it did devour. It devoured all of Babylon. It came through. And uh, even though it, it had just eaten, it's got ribs still in its teeth. Go and devour more. Once more, rapacious. If you... Um, you know, if you want to go home and figure out, you want to study all afternoon who the three ribs were. Hmm, which nations could the three ribs be? Uh, knock yourself out. Don't send anybody your results. We don't care. But the, re- the rest of us, uh, you know, that's my example. The plain thing's the main thing. The main thing's the plain thing. But uh, verse 6, we have a third uh, beast. <clears throat> a leopard, four wings of a bird and four heads. What does that mean? That means if that thing, a leopard's the fastest thing out there already, or I guess a cheetah, but you know what I mean, a fast predator, and uh, the, the wings make a, a leopard even faster, and four heads, what does that mean? That means from this kingdom, there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. So you can't outrun a winged leopard, and you can't hide because the four heads, seen in all directions. Well, most folks uh, that read this say this has got to be who came after the Medes and Persians who conquered the, the Medes and who conquered the whole Persian Empire well the Greeks came next and who was the, uh, the head of the Greeks that, that, that made that empire was a fellow named Alexander the Great Alexander the Great you talk about speed he conquers the ancient known world he, he conquers everything that he knew that was out there to conquer in 10 years by the time he is 32 years old he's going well what's left nothing so you look at this and you go, well, that would certainly describe the Greek kingdom. And then after this, a kingdom uh, that was different. And uh, this fourth beast, verse 7, is different. All these were unnatural hybrids. But this, this, this monster has iron teeth. This is robo-beast. And it either ate it or smashed it. And uh, uh, many believe, myself included, that this represents the Roman Empire. Uh, there was nothing like it that came before the expansive military, the amount of area that they conquered, really nothing since. There's been nothing like it. These ten horns that grow from it, I interpret to mean there was a spirit of domination and fighting that lives on in all these kings and kingdoms. Rome, uh, there's a reason, you know, uh, uh, 
Even today, there's a spirit of predatory nature. You know, I was thinking about it. Even the symbols that we adopt in modern nations. Have you ever, ever think about it? They're not like um, domesticated, you know, happy little animals. They're, they're predators, right? Uh, the England, the lion. The United, uh, uh, Russia, bear. You think about the United States, eagle. There's a reason we didn't go with the turkey, Mr. Franklin, Right? China, dragon, right? These are predatory. That spirit of domination, I think, lives on. And when, if you want to go back and count the 10 kings and get it to line up exactly like 10 horns, uh, 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 I suppose you can. But in, in my understanding, it, I mean, an animal has, usually has two horns. Well, what this is saying is this is five times stronger. See, I can do that math. Two times five. See how I got to the 10? See how I did that? Uh, uh, that this animal is much stronger that there is a, a, a spirit here of, 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 of world domination and dominion and these evil kings uh, from that spirit uh, 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 continue to arise continue to come and then verse 8 out of these ten horns there was one that was even, even uh, personified evil out of those ten horns that spirit of evil and domination this horn this little horn you see that with eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things evil personified eyes and he's boastful arrogant evil personified we'll, we'll come back to him at the end but all, I, all I'm trying to show you is the clear realism the fearful face of history what, what do we do with all this look Daniel did not give us the, the Lord did not give us Daniel 7 so we could play guess the beast you know, what do you think this one represents? What do you think this one represents? He wants to make an impression on you, and it's this. You are engaged right now in spiritual warfare. That's what he wants you to see clearly. Whether you disagree and you think, well, I think maybe this could represent this. Uh, he wants to make an impression on you. That's why these are nightmare kind of words. He wants you to know there is evil in the world. There is an evil one. Genocide and six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust and ISIS and civil wars. Christians right now who are living under regimes in parts of the world where it is illegal for them to exist and it's illegal, you could be put to death if you convert from your religion to Christianity. You think, well, we live in a refined Western democracy. Is there not still brutality? Babies aborted. Our friends addicted. What's behind? What's really behind opioid crisis? What's really behind heroin? What's really behind? How do you explain out of nowhere in a generation depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts through the roof? Marriages on the brink of divorce. And you know what the enemy's saying? Devour even more. Jesus said there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what you're up against. And the Bible is not naive. The Bible doesn't say, no, you trust in the Lord Jesus and it's all sunshine and roses. No. In this world, you will have trouble. A new job, a new spouse, a new whatever is not going to solve your deepest problems. As one writer said about the American Revolution, remember, revolutions just produce other men, not new men. See, the names may change, the kingdoms may change. 
but there is an evil one lurking and you need to be dead-eyed clear about that on a rainy Sunday morning we are engaged in spiritual warfare there is uh, darkness raging now but there's a heartening secret go to go to the second in the midst of all this the heartening secret the firm kingship of heaven in the midst of all this rage and the monsters and the beasts and the chaos verse 9 you could hear a pin drop did you notice that you almost get whiplash when you read Daniel 7 because 1 through 8 is wild and crazy and suddenly we're in a throne room and now there's order there's calm there's thrones and the ancient of days took his seat you know that the ancient of days is the Old Testament term that means the true and living and eternal God in the midst of all the chaos God reigns there's sanity and there's order he is still order in the chaos go to him uh, do you take Christianity Today magazine uh, I love it. It, it, it on the back page of every month's issue they do a testimony they always do it they always print a testimony it's my favorite part it's the first thing I go to every, every time when it comes in the mail it's the first thing I go to I love it and they're all these different folks and they simply tell the story of how Jesus Christ came and saved them oh, it's so encouraging if nothing else get it for the testimony this month's uh, last week came out with Greg Steer Greg Steer is an evangelist, and he uh, talks about growing up, and his family was basically ruffians. I mean, they were street fighters. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the new uh, uh, different family members would show up. Everywhere. It just told, you can imagine. You write the story. All the chaos you can imagine. And every, it was not unusual to see his grandma pick up a baseball bat, walk out on the street, and bash somebody's car. I mean, crazy violence. And Greg said many times he would hide, and they would find him. He said, sometimes under the couch, sometimes under the kitchen sink with a flashlight and a Bible. He said, I didn't even understand what I was reading, but I knew in the midst of all this chaos, here was order, peace. And he knew to go to him. You can go to him in the midst of chaos. In fact, in the midst of the darkness, all the more the church shines brightly you know the, the, this church is illuminated from the outside people driving by right now on highway 31 on a beautiful sunny morning they really can't see but you saw driving up beautiful why there's something here the church is shining its brightest in the midst of the darkest hours nothing uh, uh in in revelation it says the the sea before the throne room of heaven is a sea of glass i love that uh, uh nothing rocks heaven's throne room nothing and so in the midst of lies and betrayal and foolishness and no one has the answers here we see purity and wisdom look at the ancient of days he's described clothing white as snow hair of his head like pure wool what does that mean well he's never his white as snow is purity he's never compromised his righteous dealings in establishing his kingdom as all the humans did in establishing theirs no his kingdom is a righteous kingdom and the hair of his head like pure wool what does that mean it doesn't mean old and frail it means the wisdom of the ancient of days that no human will ever have he's not temporary he's eternal that doesn't mean he's not active his thrones fiery flames wheels burning fire stream of fire issued and came before him look throughout the old testament where you see the fire and how it represents Yahweh God he's actively moving and working and oh the host of angels look at the rest of verse 10 you got the 10,000 serving him the 10,000 times 10,000 why is this important because uh, Daniel over and over in this book of Daniel poor Daniel have you thought about it from Daniel's perspective how many times is Daniel fighting the good fight of faith how many times does poor Daniel look around in the lion's den wherever how many times has poor Daniel had to look around and go you know 
it just feels like I'm all alone. I'm all alone. I'm the only one fighting this. I'm the only one dealing with this. I'm the only one who knows I'm in spiritual warfare, and I'm the only one who's getting defeated and having to pick myself back up. That's why he's praying three times a day. His prayers are for repentance just like everybody else. Daniel wasn't perfect, and he knew it. Am I alone? And to see this vision, whoa. I'm engaged in spiritual warfare, but I am very much not alone. In fact, there's only four beasts I'm seeing, but I'm seeing 10,000 times 10,000s of these holy ones. You're not alone. This is a heartening secret. Well, he, he, he goes to ask, you know, verse 11 and 12, he goes to ask, hey, hey, what, you know, what's, what's going on? Uh, oh, sorry, verse 11 and 12, he gets to see the, um, the end of the beast, you know, the, uh, uh, that, that, that little horn is all talking a big game, but in the end, uh, if you look at verse 12, uh, you know, destroyed and, and these beast dominion taken away. And here's how. Look at verse 13 and 14. You saw this. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man and came to the ancient of days. And of course, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Son of man is a common way for people to, it just means, you know, human being. Ezekiel calls himself son of man over and over. God calls Ezekiel son of man. That just means son of a human being. But there's this other sense where son of men don't ride in on a cloud. So you've got this like divine image and you don't get to stand before the holy God, the ancient of days. So son of man can mean human. Son of man can mean God. And when Jesus came to earth, you know this, what was his favorite thing to call himself? Son of man. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. You know, uh, uh, over and over, son of man. And, and the whole gospels are people having to decide, what does he mean by son of man? Does he mean just human? Or is he calling himself Daniel 7, son of man? And at the climax, at his trial, the chief priests ask him, who are you? Are you? Say it in front of everybody. Are you saying that you're the Messiah? And you know what he points to? Of all the things he could have said. He goes to Daniel chapter 7, right here. He takes him right to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And he said, surely I tell you, you're going to see the heaven opened up and you're going to see the Son of Man riding right there on a cloud. He, he quotes Daniel 7. And when he does, they rip their clothes and they say, blasphemy. See, he's calling himself God. He's making himself equal to God. Right there. He was indeed crucified he was dead and buried, and you can imagine how those beasts, you can imagine how the devils in hell, you can imagine how Satan himself rejoiced at the death of the Son of God. But early Easter Sunday morning, hmm? what happened? Well, to use Daniel's phrase, he was presented to the Ancient of Days. He rose with all power in his hand. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that every people, nation, and language should serve him. He has a dominion that is an eternal dominion. And right before his ascension, do you remember what he tells his disciples in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Daniel 7, promise made in Jesus Christ's resurrection, promise fulfilled. His, the beast's days are numbered. Uh, the enemy's days are numbered. And Jesus Christ will have a kingdom that knows no end. He already has a kingdom that knows no end. And we, his people, will rule and reign with him forever and ever. Now, why do I say this is a heartening secret? <sighs> you need to have a clear realism you're engaged in spiritual warfare. But to keep you from discouragement, you also have absolutely, you need to know the secret that Daniel 7 is trying to let you in on. God wins. <laughs> All right? That's it. God wins. 
And that doesn't mean you're going to be prevented from pain. That means you're going to be prevented from panic. In World War II, uh, the, um, uh, part of the problem was that Nazi Germany had a code. They had these code machines called Enigma. And it was so complex that if you had these machines on either end of the, of the message, uh, uh, messengers could carry messages openly because it didn't matter. You could get the secret message. You can't read this thing. Um, but some Polish scientists, British mathematicians, uh, some allied forces worked together and cracked Enigma with a program called Ultra. And suddenly, they were able to read Nazi communications. This is a game changer. But they had to keep secret that they knew the secret, right? Like they knew, for example, there's a story of a, 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 a fleet being sent out from Naples and they were going to destroy a Nazi and Italian fleet was being sent out. Uh, but they knew it was going to happen. So they had to send a reconnaissance plane just so they could accidentally stumble on it, come back, and then send in their ships so that everybody would think they discovered it. Because they knew the secret. And knowing the secret. Now listen, knowing the secret, they still had to go out and fight and win a war. You still got to go out and fight and win a war. But knowing the secret gave them heart. Listen, Christian, you're engaged in this battle. There's still a lot of fighting. I'm not saying this makes everything going away, but you can't tell me that reading that verse doesn't put a little heart into God's people. See? That's the secret. Knowing these kingdoms come and go, knowing that you don't have to lose your mind over what the world loses its mind over. You know the secret. You have a heartening secret. Okay. God's people, it doesn't mean it's going to keep God's people from pain, but it should keep us from panic. All right. Last, the coming fight. The the final conflict of suffering. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. Isn't that something? Daniel himself struggles with anxiety at night. The visions of my head alarmed me. It's funny, the actual literal lions of the lion's den were not scary to him. The visions were. Well, anyway, he tries to get a little more info from the angels. I'll try to move quickly through this. The angel tells him, look, you know, the plain thing's the main thing. Look at verse 17. The four great beasts of the four kings, verse 18. But in the end, God wins. (laughs) That's it. The angel's giving you the the plain thing and the main thing. This uh, 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 final beast, you know, this this, this horn that grows out of the ten horns. I want to say one word about that, the coming fight, and then close. Uh, if you would, skip down to verse 21. Verse 21. The ten horns, and then there's this one horn with mouth and seems greater. And as I look, this horn made war with the saints, prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High until the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And thus he said, as... Okay, so now that basically he's saying, look, 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 look. I know you, I know you gave me the plain thing is the main thing, but Daniel, he says, I, I want to know a little more. Mr. Angel, could you, could, you, could you give me just a little more, especially on this fourth beast and this, these ten horns and this little horn? Could you, could you give me a little more on this? And so he does. Look, as for the fourth beast, there'll be a fourth kingdom on earth different from all the other kingdoms. Devour the whole earth, trample it down, break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He'll be different from the former ones and he'll put down three kings and oh, all sorts of books have been written about this. Uh, the ten, some people think the, the, the ten, um, so Rome is gone, it's the fourth beast, but Rome is still in Europe, and then the ten nations that confederate, that come together, you know, um, uh, uh, 
before I w- well, I guess uh, just before uh, uh, I was around, the, the, what are they, the European Common Market, you know, had these 10 member nations, and everybody goes, Europe, Rome, that's the 10 nations, that's the 10 horns. But then they got an 11th. And it was like, well, that one doesn't count. You know? <laughs> and they got a 12. You know, one commentator went so far as to say, well, it doesn't matter. In the end, there'll be 10. It's like, well, now you're just making stuff. So I, I get it. You know, all, all sorts of ink can be spilt. Uh, again, I, I think it's saying there'll be this powerful confederation of nations, but ultimately um, this one will put the three, three kings down, confederate the rest, and verse 25, consolidate the rest, I mean. He shall speak words against the Most High, wear out the saints of the Most High, change the times and the law and they'll be given into his hand for time times and half a time some people say a time is a full year times is a double that so two years and half a time is half a year so you got three and a half years here um, which is half of seven and seven's important and then you're off to the races here's what we have we have here that um that you have someone coming in the days ahead that will be the personification of evil and guilty of these three things blasphemy See that? Speak out words against the Most High. Persecution of God's people. See that? Wear out the saints of the Most High. And third, set himself up self-deification. He's going to change the times and the law. Uh, Daniel 2.21 says, it's God who changes the seasons. God alone. Here, no, I'll make my own calendar. I'll make my own. In in this case, of course, for the people of Israel, the calendar was the law, right? I mean, you celebrated the feasts on these days and so forth. No, this this person, they, they don't think they're beholden to anyone. Now, it is hard from a New Testament perspective not to assume that this is referring to the one Paul calls the man of lawlessness, the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians. In John, in 1 John, calls this person the Antichrist. That means that the Antichrist has not yet come. Listen to me carefully. The Antichrist has not yet come. But we should not be surprised if the spirit of Antichrist has already come in many wicked rulers and has been found in many wicked rulers, those who set themselves up against God and God's people. Everybody hear me say that? Antichrist has not come. But don't be surprised if you say, well, oof, that's certainly a spirit of Antichrist. That's exactly what the Bible says. Look at 1 John uh, 2.18. Children, or listen to it. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. That's how we know. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. You see that? Uh, this spirit of dominion and power and wickedness this is a thread that's been traced through all of human history finding its ultimate culmination in this antichrist and what will happen oh verse 26 and 27 god will deal with him the court shall sit in judgment his dominion taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Clear realism, you're in spiritual warfare. Oh, the heartening secret, God wins, prepares us for the coming fight. Now, I have to be careful when I use language like fight. Listen to me carefully. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Christians don't conquer by killing. Christians conquer by dying. 
by laying their life down. We follow a crucified Savior whose hope was in the resurrection, and so is ours. It is not a military fight. It is not a physical fight, but it is a fight. It's a fight of faith. It's a fight of prayer. There's a reason we call them prayer warriors. You're doing battle in the heavenly realms. Daniel has seen heaven opened, and he knows how the story will end. What about you? I'm going to ask the musicians to come and help us and lead us in a time of response and invitation. Listen, Daniel's not naive. Oh, listen, Daniel knows there'll be trouble. Daniel knows he's not in a fight against flesh and blood. When Darius told him that he was going to uh, be cast into a den of lions, Daniel didn't try to go and raise an army. He's in exile. Daniel didn't try to fight his way through in this. No, but he did fight in a sense. How? He went to his prayer closet and he fought that battle on his knees. We fight it in worship every week. We, we fight back darkness in our prayer. We fight back darkness with every act of love and kindness. The kingdom is breaking in. So, don't quit. Daniel knows that dark forces arise. And Daniel also knows it's easy to feel like we're outmatched and outnumbered. Ask somebody who's dealing with a friend in addiction or whose marriage is on the brink of divorce. Ask them. They'll tell you. It just feels hopeless. What do we do? We're outnumbered. No, no, no. No. Daniel knows when he sees this vision, he'll tell you straight up, you, all hell will be unleashed on earth. But, to paraphrase Churchill, what's Daniel going to do? He'll fight him at every turn. Remember Churchill's great speech? He'll fight him in the seas, fight him in the air. If they board, if they come into England, we'll fight him on the streets, we'll fight him in the alleys, we'll fight him in the hedgerows. Churchill told his people in World War II, I can offer you nothing but blood, sweat, and tears, but we will never surrender. That's what Daniel did. That's how he lived. Fighting that good fight of faith. So, it, listen, if Jesus, it, the, worst, the, the worst tragedy of all would be you could hear this whole message. If Jesus is not your king today, is he on the throne of your life? Is he the king? Because you're, you're, you're part of one of two kingdoms. You're either part of a kingdom that is about to be destroyed and burned up forever and ever. Or you're part of the kingdom whose dominion has no end. There's no middle ground. There's nobody that can abstain from this. Your life is the ballot you cast for whose king you have as on the throne of your heart. So I can't imagine going through this message and missing the, the plain thing. Is he your king? Hmm? Now, if not, get that straight today. If he is, oh, if he is, then never surrender. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. That to me is the plain thing and the main thing in Daniel 7. In spite of all appearances, God will see his people through to the end. Let's pray. God, grant your people fresh courage today to fight the fight of faith. God, grant to us a clear realism about what's coming, that we not be naive, but grant to us the heartening, encouraging secret that Daniel got to see in the heavenlies. And steal us and prepare us to fight a battle of prayer of good deeds, of love in a world that so desperately needs. The enemy is on the march, on the move.
But Lord, so is your kingdom. It's advancing. God, grant that there might be more and more inbreaking of your kingdom until it is come in fullness. Until that day, we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.